What's up? Hey. See, I changed it up. I did what's up instead. I'm pretty sure I've said <laughs> hey before. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Get some new material. Looks down at notes. It's just pages upon pages of hey, hello, <laughs> hi. Oh, well, speaking of new material, my dear, dear husband, I'm sorry, my darling, that you are always the start of the opener. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only other human I interact with, so yeah, deal with uh, it. <laughs> he recommended, he he prefaced it properly. He's like, I want you to listen to this podcast. You're going to be so angry. <laughs> <laughs> he and wanted I was you like, to Why hate would I do that to a podcast? Yeah, okay. yeah. He's like, I just think you'd get a kick out of it. So listen to it. Did you listen to it, hate it, and then of course go and like give it one star and say it's revisionist or something? Oh man, I totally should have. <laughs> Oh my God, I should have. Instead, I just, I listened to it and just yelled to nobody in particular. And then I went upstairs. I got like halfway through and then I went upstairs and said, why did you make me do that? That's what I learned is the right way to respond when you don't like a podcast. Through doing this podcast, I learned that apparently you're supposed to go and (laughs) rate it poorly. Yeah, I really should have. (laughs) Anyway, the podcast in question is... Bill Gates and Rashida Jones's new podcast. Wow. Rashida Jones like the actress? Like the actress. <laughs> All right. Apparently she went to Harvard, so she's okay. like smart, yeah. I guess. But uh, it's just called Bill Gates and Rashida Jones Ask Big Questions. All right. I'm just going to tell you, I didn't even finish the first episode. I was just too angry. <laughs> so this is a half review. Do you have any gems from that experience? Yeah, so this was their first one, and it was on, I'm lowering my glasses at you, (laughs) inequality. Ooh. Let's let Bill Gates talk to me about inequality. Inequality. Well, I mean, he's got half the conversation covered. He can tell us (laughs) how the other half lives. The other 1% lives. Oh, So, like, Rashida Jones, she plays the role, basically, of, like, kind of moderating and, like, She'll she'll kind of set up the premise and stuff like that. From what I could tell, she's like, "Isn't it true that like we have a huge rate of inequality in this country?" Oh, and blah blah blah. So she's the regular person. She seems like the regular person, right? Because but then Bill Gates. I mean, he's not the regular person. <laughs> he's the the tech super I mean, lord. If, if you can count like a super rich Hollywood actress as a regular person, right? Then sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what she's playing. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's the every woman. So sort of (laughs) unfairly beautiful, every woman. So she kind of sets that up and he, he does this horrible thing where he's just like, yeah, there's some inequality and just like, doesn't really, he doesn't seem to account for any of the reasons why there's inequality. Mm -hmm. He just, and he doesn't think it's that bad from what I could tell. He was just like, yeah, it's, it's not that bad. Like consider it like our standard of living is pretty good. Oh my God. He did the Stephen Pinker thing where he's like, (laughs) yeah, but like in the middle ages, people died of the plague and stuff. And he did the, no, the worst thing, the thing that like fucking sent me for like, I don't even know. It blew my top. (laughs) Yeah. Was he said, we have free education. Mm, what and i was like i mean kind of (laughs) it's very bad in a lot of places and even that like you're allowed to get for free let's say you know you're allowed to get for free 
the education needed for an entry-level job that you're going to pay bullshit at. I know. You know? And, and he got really pissed when Rashida asked about free college. He's like, why do you need college? I dropped out of college. And I was like, all right, buddy. <laughs> He's a rich kid. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, like, why should we pay? You know, he did the Pete Buttigieg, why should we pay for rich kids college thing? And I was just like, shut the fuck up. Like, your little rinky-dink free education ain't helping people. Like, yeah. That is also unequal. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Fucking go to hell. We got free education, man. It's fine. Problem <laughs> Did you know solved. that our education's great? <laughs> our education's great. It's free. It'll lift you completely. Man, I am in this thing. And I, I like, there's <laughs> one of the big things that we are measured on as schools is college readiness. Because even the system itself mm-hmm. and measuring itself, its own metrics, knows that it's not sufficient to get people ready for making enough money to be comfortable in our system. Mm-hmm. You know? Like it, yeah, it knows that it has to be a pipeline for people to get good jobs. Yeah. Like (laughs) under what pretense can you possibly be like, oh, that that's enough. Yeah. I mean, it used to be enough, but it's just not anymore. And I mean, I'm not saying everybody's got to go to college. I mean, you can do, you know, all sorts of other pathways in terms of trade schools and stuff like that. But that also requires money, resources, stuff, you know, that's not free. Yeah. I think that's what makes me mad is that. They get so cagey about free college. And then it's like, okay, what if you make like other forms of living like sustainable? <laughs> and they're like, no, I don't want to do that either. Yeah. Well, I just want pe- poor people to suffer. It cuts into their yacht money whenever they're having to pay for right? all that. So, yeah. And they brought in some like expert. Again, I only listened half of it and it was a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This is a very half assed review. It's fine. Yeah. But, uh, they brought in this like expert on inequality and this guy sounded like he kind of knew what he's talking about, but I was so angry from before that I just like couldn't really focus. Do you remember his name? Uh, economist Raj Chetty. So he did research on opportunity in America. And I think he was saying some good stuff. Like generally like people are less likely to succeed as much as their parents did and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What was really gross to me is that Rashida was clearly trying to like humanize Bill Gates. Yeah. And like, she was like, what strikes me is how both you and Raj had these incredible mothers. Like, I wonder if that's the key. And I'm like, well, why are we talking about this? Like, I don't care about your mom. That's that's the key insight we should draw from this. Not a (laughs) structural analysis of the privileges that he had and how he wrought that into even more wealth. No, no, that's not what we Mm -mm. should look at here. (laughs) He had a good mommy. Let's put more blame on individual family like units. That's always a good (laughs) tactic. (sighs) <sighs> anyway, don't bother. You can listen to it if you want, but don't. <laughs> one, star, one star. No class analysis. Yeah, that's what I should One star <laughs> capitalist revisionist. Where are the dialectics? <laughs> Shit. I hated it because it was so fake woke. It was trying to... I mean, is that woke to talk to Bill Gates? No, but Rashida was like... Well, I consider myself the American dream because, like, I come from, you know, people who were once slaves and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's great. But, like, you want to analyze how you got there, you know? And, like, Bill Gates did not do that. So you don't don't get to make up for his shittiness. (laughs) Right. So kind of using that as cover for the whole, Mm -hmm. the rest of the project. And, of course, Bill Gates has this big, like, you know, he's big into development in other countries, so he thinks he's fucking a saint or whatever. Right, yeah, because he gives a slim portion of his a pittance. wealth away. Even if he, I mean, if he gives away half, there's still a big fucking chunk there that he could give away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. 
That's the thing. And also, it's so you can avoid taxes. That too. And it's so that he can give it away and choose Mm -hmm. to and choose not to rather than someone choosing that for him. Yeah. Not an excuse. Okay. You want to get to our our trunk? Yeah. Our main course. Let's do this. I don't know why I called it a trunk. (laughs) Okay. Let's dive in. So we got an email a while back from a listener in India named Adarsh. And he told us all about his cool home state of Kerala. Ooh, all right. So he basically said that they have a long history of mm-hmm. like communist and leftist movements yeah. and just how they're doing really well compared to the rest of India and even compared to some parts of the US. Like they're doing pretty good. That's cool. Yeah. So I did a little research project and I found some cool stuff and I just want to go over it with you. Dude, yeah, let's do that. All right. Kerala, your presentation, here you go. You'll be judged (laughs) according to the rubric here. Okay. Oh. Go ahead and begin when you're ready. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm nervous. I actually was nervous. I had to go over my notes yesterday because I was like, shit. I wrote, you know, like when you write notes when you're researching, they make no sense. You're just like, you're just typing. Yeah, yeah. You're just throwing it all together. And you're like, what? What was that? (laughs) Yeah, like a fugue state. (laughs) So yeah, I'm glad I, I like practiced while I was doing the dishes yesterday. So So here we go. All right. (laughs) All right, so I want to give some background into pre-independence India and kind of how they first started to interact with communism. Okay. So basically, a lot of people were into communism whenever it first like hit the scene. In India? In India, yeah. That's cool. So people would like travel to Moscow. Uh-huh. People admired Lenin, and they were basically just like really into this whole revolutionary idea. <laughs> okay, so this is in the early 1900s then we're talking? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, as you can imagine, the British did not like that. <laughs> they didn't like a little bit of camaraderie, shall we say? I mean, they did not. No. Uh, <laughs> they were still like ruling India. So, you know, when you have people being revolutionary, that ain't going to fly. But by the 1900s, they had their own labor MPs. They should have been like, this is fine, <laughs> right? It's fine for us. It's fine for them. A little bit of socialism. So when did India get independence? I don't know anything. Uh, India gets independence officially in 1947. Jeez, it's so late. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, that's insane. It's um, in the Indian Independence Act of 1947. That's when they officially, it's August 15th of that year that they, they become the Dominion of India. Technically, they're still at that time a Commonwealth nation. Mm, okay. But then later is on... Is Canada still a Commonwealth nation? I know they still like like England. <laughs> I know they're still buds. Yeah, they're still a Commonwealth realm. But India is no longer that. They changed that uh, in 1950. They became the Republic of India and cut all, you know, cut all ties sort of thing. I mean, they're still like friends, but they're not like... Subjugated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Important distinction. So this is back when they totally were subjugated and mm-hmm. British rule did whatever they could to stomp out these commies. So they did classic anti-communist propaganda. They would check imports for any Marxist literature people were bringing in. Oh, so man. None of that. You lose your bookmark and everything. I know, right? <laughs> uh, they would ban all communist activity, actually. They, they just straight up banned communism. Man, <laughs> so the parties, the meetings, everything. Yeah, so a lot of these early communist parties were really secretive and like 
unorganized because they were, you know, underground, basically. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing they did, at least, I mean, this seemed like a big deal to me. They issued what's called a fatwa. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but a fatwa is basically like a non-binding legal opinion on Islamic law. So Uh as someone who's raised Catholic, I would equate it to like the Pope saying like an opinion and being, you know, making kind of a proclamation. Saying it, yeah, we're doing this now, yeah. Yeah, so this they're usually used to advise courts, elaborate on laws and how it relates to like Islamic law, comment on like doctrines, policies, grievances, stuff like that. So yeah, this fatwa was basically urging Muslims to reject communism. All right. Because apparently at the time, a lot of Muslims were like traveling and like they were coming back with, because they would also often visit like Soviet countries and then mm-hmm. they would come back and be like, oh yeah, communism, that was cool. <laughs> so they, <laughs> when they were traveling through Soviet, now Soviet controlled areas. So this is post mm-hmm. uh, 1917 sometime. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. But well, not cool in the eyes of the not in the <laughs> eyes of the uh, the religious authorities. Not cool for there. the Brits. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, communism often goes hand in hand with anti-imperialism. Mm-hmm. So British people were quite scared. Oh, There's yeah. also rapid industrialization at that time. So you had a lot of people being like, "What are we doing here?" <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And you also had you had this huge workforce that basically were just farming for a, a landed gentry like it was basically kind of surf like yeah. in a lot of ways so you really had all the conditions for people to start thinking like in a leftist fashion yeah that makes sense and i guess adding in that anti-imperial that anti-imperial dimension you know makes it extra volatile i guess or ripe for some sort of a revolutionary movement yeah, so like a lot of these early parties were involved in, in the independence movement, mm-hmm. as far as I could tell, and they were often founded before independence. So yeah, pretty cool. Awesome. Overall, in India, it seems like there is a strong current of socialism in mainstream Indian politics. Like, we'll kind of get to this later, but it just seems like even their kind of regular left party is still pretty left. Yeah. <laughs> it made me quite jealous. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. You had some recessions in the 70s that caused a little bit of reactionary to that but overall a lot better <laughs> so yeah cool so let's get to kerala specifically okay and kerala is like basically the very southwest tip of india mm-hmm. and it was formed by the states reorganization act on november 1st 1956 from what i read i think you did a little more reading on this than i did Basically, once India got independence, there was kind of some shuffling and shifting of state lines. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, so once they get independence right, um, you have two countries at that point, sort of. You've got the Dominion of India. You've got the Dominion of Pakistan, which is east and west uh, Pakistan, mm. which west Pakistan is now modern day Pakistan normal. And east Pakistan is now <laughs> Bangladesh. Okay, yeah. Uh, which that doesn't happen until 1971 that they break away. And then both, uh, and th- there's also these regions called princely states. Yeah, I read about that. And they were like, they were always um, kingdoms, sort of, that the British had kind of like let happen, but answer to them. So Yeah, they're basically like puppets. Yeah, and the, and, the, and the princely states were allowed to kind of pick whatever side they wanted. They were kind of prodded into picking 
whichever side, you know, most people were wanting to go for. Uh, and then you also had a few like city state style things, um, holdovers from like the Portuguese, the French still had mm, like yeah. control of these various cities that eventually went to were eventually were absorbed into India. And then, yeah, like in 1950, India cuts its ties in 1956, Pakistan becomes the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. And then it's 1971 where East Pakistan secedes and becomes Bangladesh instead. Okay, okay. But to go back to what you were initially asking about, the States Reorganization Act of 1956 uh, comes about kind of because those princely states were brought back, you know, brought back into India. uh, And people were kind of agitating like, oh, we want states to be along linguistic lines. And they decided, you know, no, we're not going to do that exactly. But they did put together a commission, the States Reorganization Commission, to try to figure out, okay, what were we going to do? How were we going to reorganize the states? And so that's, again, like you said, in 1956, they change a bunch of the state territories, like their borders, um, and combine different ones with each other. And so that's where you get Kerala. It was formed by the merger of Travancore Cochin State with the Malabar District, and Kesaragad Taluk of South Canara District of the Madras Presidency. And then they took a, a, a portion of it and transferred it to the Madras state. So that's what you were talking about there with the state borders changing up. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was confusing reading about that. I was like, <laughs> I just need someone to interpret this for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they became a state in 1956. The next year, 1957, EMS Nambu was elected to serve as the first chief minister of Kerala. All right. This guy's really cool. Tell me about <laughs> Spoiler him. Spoiler alert. So his kind of background, he, in 1934, founded the Congress Socialist Party, which was a wing of the Indian National Congress. Now, the Indian National Congress is not like their Congress like we have in the States. Right. It's a party, mm-hmm. part of their parliament. So that confused me for a very long time. <laughs> so just a heads up. So I would liken them to like if Democrats were actually cool. <laughs> yeah. Is that um, the Indian National Congress like from back in the day, the one from pre-independence like that? Mm-hmm. The guys who were, okay. All right. Gotcha. So it's, and another parallel is like the African National Congress in South Africa, the ANC, like it's a political party, okay. not, their, not their body. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. To Americans, that's weird, Um, I guess. Confusingly titled to Americans, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, so this was a pretty big tent party, the CSP, Congress Socialist Party. Okay. It included people who were like, yeah, revolution, let's do it. It also had a lot of people that were very into nonviolence. So those guys kind of fought. Um, So you also had Democratic Socialists and Social Democrats. So big old tent. So it's like the DSA kind of, but actually a political party. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Uh, they even worked with the Communist Party of India, so like very nice. big. All right. But their their platform was very cool. They were for decentralized socialism. Okay. So that meant co-ops, trade unions, supporting independent farmers, basically taking a lot of the power from central government and giving it back more to local authorities. So like libertarian socialists or like anarcho-communist leaning sort of things? I think they had some ANCOM leanings if I... If I understood correctly, I, I think you really see that in Kerala, too, because it was so local based, mm-hmm. you know. Awesome. They were also secularists. They were all just about class solidarity, because especially when you have a really rigid caste system, that's a big deal. And a big religious divide in the country overall, right? You know? 
Yes. How else definitely. are you going to appeal to all these groups if you're saying, oh, we're only going to be, we're going to try to govern in a, for Hindus or for Muslims? Yeah, which is a lot of the problem that's going on today in India. Mm-hmm. Long story short, with this party, there's a lot of fracturing happens when you got a big tent like that. You know, we're all shocked. You get six leftists but. in a room, you've got 18 <laughs> different tendencies, man. Yeah. And it's interesting. There are like still a ton of these communist parties out there. Like basically use our name generator and throw <laughs> India in there too, and you'll get some. Awesome. <laughs> So that was kind of like his his start with socialism or like as far as actual governing. Mm -hmm. But when he gets elected to chief minister, he starts out with some pretty bold plans. What's he do? So because I think because they were democratically elected, I think it kind of made them want to be popular and like they, they really wanted to continue winning elections instead of like having to hunker down and, and use some violence, you know? Yeah. So... I think in terms of that, I think it might have colored a little bit of their platform. They wanted to make sure that things would actually pass and be popular and stuff like that. Okay. That being said, they still did some cool shit. So <laughs> let's get into it. Let's do it. All right. So first we have the land reforms ordinance. All right. This one had like multiple versions of it. Mm-hmm. So it looks like they tried to introduce it right after they got elected. And then they ended up passing an agrarian relations bill in 1958 and a lot of the amendments like had some of that original stuff from the 1957 version mm-hmm. because that big one didn't end up passing. But they they found it in other ways, if that makes sense. So they kind of start the ball rolling in 57 and then kind of like add on to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, is it, what does it do? So basically got rid of feudalism. Pretty big Hell deal. Yes. <laughs> I'm a big opponent of feudalism. So I like that. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about those like princely Rajas and stuff, mm-hmm. but basically you had a lot of holdover from the, like the Raj system. Is that what you would call it, a system? Well, the Raj, uh, the British Raj, I guess, right, uh, would yeah. be the overall like the Indian like subcontinent as it was governed by by Britain. I guess you'd call that just you know the princely states though, like their realm mm, or whatever. Okay. So the way that worked though is basically you had these really wealthy landowners and really poor tenants and they didn't have many rights at all. Yeah. Like you said, they were just serfs basically. Basically. Yeah. They were allowed to live there and work the land and not much else. Mm -hmm. So they put a ceiling on how much land someone can own. I love when people do that. (laughs) It was (laughs) one uh, of my faves. Who else did it? Cuba, right? They did that. Cuba did that. We were giving them the thumbs up, man. That's good. (laughs) Still, still into it. <laughs> and what was great with this excess land, you had the tenants and people who were just like living in huts and stuff nearby could get could get that excess land. Oh, they cool. got dibs. They just yeah. redistributed it. Basically, yes, redistributed some land. Good. They improved wages, working conditions, secured employment, and tenant rights. So, big fucking yeah, deal. Good things all across the board. Yeah. Uh, again, this was kind of a series of of bills like it wasn't just like one big bill i think i think it was just like the cool it was a platform (laughs) (laughs) the awesome law so yeah what was interesting it it sounded like they didn't want to go straight to like state ownership or collectives because they ems didn't think that that would actually help the peasantry that it was just like it sounded good in theory Mm -hmm. so they went with more of like the reform mind but like these are very good reforms especially when you're considering you're going from literal fucking serfdom so like 
Yeah. That's a big leap. And like you mentioned, it's interesting to me that it's uh, so decentralized because like there's no, like you said, there's no collectivizing really or anything that that could even be framed as the government is taking this for itself and away from you and you're not going to have the things, you know, it's like, nah, dude, here's some more pay. Here's some land. Here's some cool stuff, <laughs> you know? like Yeah, I, I think that's a theme in this of basically... Like, I thought a lot about the party line because it seems like they're really in tune with what the people needed and just, like, provided that. Awesome. Next big platform I want to get into was the education bill. Again, this one actually failed to pass, but lots of the provisions were still enacted through, like, various amendments of following bills. Okay. But this one, also very cool. So what you had was a lot of schools... Like 40% of students were enrolled in private institutions, mm-hmm. uh, mostly religious institutions, yeah. Christian schools, Catholic schools, Christian and Catholic, the same thing, but whatever. The Nair Service Society, which is, uh, Nair is like a caste, but their service society basically like looks out for that like kind of group of people. Okay. So this bill, that stood to get rid of malpractice in these private institutions, standardize the syllabus, looking to standardize appointments of teachers paying teachers through the treasury instead of these institutions. So they kind of were like taking over some bits of that, mm-hmm. like you were talking about, like it, this is kind of more the state taking over. Uh, oh, and then actually taking over management. So yeah. <laughs> so they kind of did that with the schools. Yeah. Would, were they, I mean, but mm, did they meet with a lot of opposition in doing that? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. This is where the, <laughs> this is where, where it, the claws come out. Yeah. So people were really fucking pissed about this particularly the Catholics and the Nair Society. Yeah. The Supreme Court upheld the law, though, and the president of India didn't veto it, but it ended up not passing. But they again, they still, they still enacted a lot of these policies. And that brings us to the opposition movement. The opposition to them? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, tell me about these guys. <laughs> well, it's unfortunately named the liberation struggle. Okay. Please. <laughs> This was a coalition of Catholics, the Nair, various like, you know, political opposition parties who just wanted their seats back, and our good recurring characters on this podcast. You want to take a guess? The CIA? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh. Seriously? Yeah. What did they, like, did they yeah. make up a party and put it in there? We're the totally no. not a CIA front party. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Definitely real Indians party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you had some declassified documents that basically said, uh, according to a former U.S. ambassador, quote, the election results rang alarm bells in Washington. <laughs> so. Uh, and so they started to started to play a role. Yeah, they, they sent funding, it looks like, was their big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, according to those documents, they wanted to, quote, prevent additional Kerala's. Uh, which became an important argument for augmenting U.S. assistance to India. You know, that's crazy. And we've talked about it on the show before, but like the mental, like where do you have to be to both oppose communism, mm-hmm. but also fear that if it gets put into practice someplace, it's going to become so popular that it's going to spread all over. Dude, yeah. <laughs> have you seen that meme about like British teachers are banned from talking about communism. No, I didn't something. see that. There's a meme of that. And it's just like, well, why? Like, <laughs> are you scared that it's going to be popular? Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, that's wild. Uh, one thing I did want to add, obviously, we think the CIA, you know, 
we last time we gave a big middle finger to the FBI, CIA, mm-hmm. enjoy one too. Yeah, here you go. But I, I don't know. I don't want to like necessarily uh, some people in the in those other groups and stuff like they probably thought they were doing the right thing or they were just very religious and something and you know they were scared of the what communism would bring but you know obviously there are probably shitty people who were like oh i just got my land taken away i want it back i want to you know be a feudal lord again but (laughs) (laughs) yeah there are definitely those and like yeah i i think the religious thing they were just so used to being able to do whatever they want in those yeah, schools, like, you know. Yeah, we just shouldn't pay. Not everybody there was like CIA puppet, you know, but, you know, obviously. Yeah, yeah. The CIA was mus- uh, messing things up as always. Yeah, they had their, their finger in the pie. Is that a thing? To, yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. I said it and then it sounded very sexual, so I don't know. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so opposition movement, quote unquote, liberation struggle. You started out with mostly peaceful demonstrations, and but then didn't didn't turn out great. June thirteenth, nineteen fifty nine, the Angamali police fired at protesters who were marching towards the police station, killing seven and injuring several. Are these, there are mixed reports on this. Is this the police? Is this under the leadership of the Kerala government, or is that the, yes? Okay. So I could not find good sources on this. Um, Listeners, as you know, we use Wikipedia religiously. This <laughs> was one of those that was like, hey, this one's not cited well. Yeah. And even just reading it, it was like, in cold blood, they shot down these innocent people. And I'm like, I mean, maybe, maybe they did, but like, do you need all those adjectives, you know? So immediately my my flag was like peaked. Right, yeah. And so I did a big Google, tried to track down more sources. I thought I had one at one point, turned out to be a novel. So I had to backtrack. Um. <laughs> I could find the only other ones I could find. There was one on like a Catholic website. So, like, obviously, we know which side they were on. So, I couldn't find anything that was like a little more neutral about it. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, obviously, like, fuck police and fuck police violence. Yeah. There were some people that said the police were forced to fire because the mob was violent. But again, like, you shouldn't shoot at people. So, like, I still, that's not a good excuse. That's true. Man, they're over there in France now. They're like throwing freaking bombs at, you know, not real bombs, but like they're, you know, throwing all sorts of crap, bricks and everything at the police. And they're just hiding back there with their riot <laughs> shields. Like they actually, you know, are sufficiently cowed by their people that they're not going to go and mow them down like we do over here. France cracks me up. They don't take fucking shit. I no, love it. they don't, dude. They go to battle. Oh, sounds cool. <laughs> sounds terrifying well, and cool. It's a country with a legacy of making leaders' heads roll. They act a little differently. Dude, right? That'd be so badass. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, parody redacted. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you had this. And this really obviously pissed a lot of people off. That you had these, these dead people. I think yeah. there was like... Well, and, you know, yeah, we want to say that that was not... Yeah, we don't endorse that. That was bad. Yeah, For sure. That was bad. So, this led to the central government doing something really shitty. They basically dismissed the entire government of Kerala. The central, so the Indian government, the Indian government was just like, You're you done. guys suck. Yeah. New, did this have new elections or how did they do that? So what they can do, it's called Article three hundred fifty six of the Indian Constitution. It's called the President's Rule. They can just like dissolve a state government if they're unable to function according to the Constitution. Wow. This is a thing they did a little too often for my taste, according to my reading. It was yeah. often just used to be like, nah, I don't like what you're doing. Stop. 
So <laughs> that seems crazy, you know? Like, yeah. can you imagine if someone came in and was just like, Texas, you're done here. I mean, I'd love it right now because we need to be done here. But, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but like, that's crazy. Like that, that's pretty nuts. I have not So here's the crazy thing. Uh, you know, obviously in the United States, it's a different setup in that the states are, it's a federal system, right? So the states kind of have a lot of their own power. Mm-hmm. But within the state level, uh, cities, municipal, any of that, that stuff's straight up created by the state governments. And mm. so Texas could do, you know, Texas could play India and do that to different city governments. They could come to Dallas it. and be like, stop it. Stop <laughs> your none. mask ordinance. Yeah. They could just be Jesus. like, you are out. Like in Florida, for example, the guy uh, there delivered it. He, he made a like anti-mask ordinance <laughs> ordinance thing. Like what where does that mean? You can't places, wear a mask? No, local places can't make mask oh, ordinances or something. Like states are way more powerful than the city. The cities get all of their powers from the states mm-hmm. that they're in. So it just reminded me of that, you know, yeah, from an American yeah. standpoint. Just like a different level. So yeah, yeah they they did that. It sucked. Uh, the next election, the communists lost a lot of their seats. And then you get some some good old classic fracturing within the communist parties. Um, yeah, they split in 1964 is the classic revolution versus electoralism, you know, okay. you know how that goes split into the yeah. communist party of India and the communist party Marxist, um, EMS ended up going with the Marxist just as a note. Okay. What year was that again? That was 1964. So that was a little later. Okay. So they split up and, you know, politics continue. But like I said earlier, even kind of their centrists were still pretty left. Uh, there's an Indira yeah. Gandhi quote that I thought was really interesting. She was in an interview and someone asked, like, basically, like, Do you, are you a socialist? And her quote was, I suppose you could call me a socialist, but you have to understand what we mean by that term. We use the word because it came closest to what we wanted to do here, which is to eradicate poverty. You can call it socialism, but if by using that word we arouse controversy, I don't see why we should use it. I don't believe in words at all. End quote. That's a hilarious sentence. I don't believe in I words at all. I don't believe in words at all. <laughs> Fuck words. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Like, I was reading about Indira Gandhi, and like, it seems like she was kind of a controversial figure. Like, obviously, people Ooh. on the right didn't like her, but people on the left would be like, oh, she's not left enough. Like, she's, you know, obviously saying that she's not a socialist, but. Uh-huh. And then, I don't know, there's also like some commentary and like, no, she's just Machiavellian out for herself. And I'm like, uh, that kind of raised the back of my neck hairs a little e- bit, too. Why? Because she's a woman. <laughs> People are just, you know, oh, that's, he is a remarkable, you know, negotiated, shrewd, uh, <laughs> you know, backroom, gets things done. Knows how to get know. things done. Yeah. You know, that's that's for the guy. Yeah. And then this one is, I don't trust her. <laughs> she must be lying. But anyway, I thought that was a really interesting quote because it gets to like the root, I think, of socialism and, and left movements is they wanted to get rid of poverty and this was the way to do it. It's almost like, hmm, maybe socialism's good for that. <laughs> yeah. It's like when we were look when you were just talking about the Kerala thing and, and how the Kerala government, how they had, you know, they were democratically elected and how they had to try to do things to keep, you know, the popular will. So they were doing nice shit for people. Yeah. You know? And like, we're going to get to how some of those things turned out, like stats wise. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Gotta say. Yeah. So I want to wrap up kind of our overview section here. They are still um, here, are kind of the, the main parties in India now. You've got the Left Democratic Front, LDF. This is communist led. Awesome. 
still a pretty big party. All right. Then you have the United Democratic Front, UDF. This is kind of the successor of the Indian National Congress. So, Pause button. Imagine. (laughs) Imagine. Sitting in Congress today. (laughs) Will the communist chairperson stand up? Yeah, we had the Democratic Party, you know, doing their thing. And you're probably going to about to introduce another party that is... Mm-hmm. Would be their analog, actually. Then you have like you know the socialists, and then you actually have straight up communists sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> it's know? amazing. Well, the next party, unfortunately, I'm going to introduce is the Bharatiya Janata Party (BJP). Uh, this one is unfortunately gone up in prevalence because that's their prime minister Modi, uh, and they are Hindu nationalists. Not great. No, yeah, not great. We have our version of that. Yeah. <laughs> here. <laughs> Crazy. That's the thing that catches on. That's what we need to start banning. That's the one that spreads like wildfire. Teachers should not be able to teach about. Yeah. (laughs) About fascism. (laughs) Yeah. Don't mention it. What's interesting, our our listener Adarsh says that the BJP seems to have a much weaker presence in Kerala. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Hey, yeah. Seems like they they can't get far in there. Yeah. So I want to talk some about how Kerala did as a state government and like their achievements and even past like their actual communist rule like when they were still pretty left yeah and just like how fucking cool they did some cool shit (laughs) and remind us this this is they're coming from like you said a feudalist pretty Mm -hmm. much conditions it's not like they were oh this was where all the diamonds were and they just no 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 it's not a petro state or anything it's just okay it's kind of the opposite so there's something called the Kerala model actually which Mm -hmm. is based on studies in the 1970s from the Center for Development Studies, which I think was based in Kerala. And they partnered with the UN to do these studies on like their, basically their, what's called HDI, uh, Human Development Index. Yeah. This is nuts. So the Kerala model is the idea that instead of focusing on high GDP growth rates, which is what most countries do when they say, we got to get better, we need more shit. Yeah. Instead of that, they just didn't do that. And they instead focused on high quality of life, Wealth slash resource redistribution and high levels of political participation. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> like, Can we start please. a Kerala model party? And I just would do love that? it. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, this that drives you crazy too, right? It drives so many of our listeners. I'm sure drives y'all crazy to hear. Oh, stock market's doing this. You know. <laughs> oh, great. The economy is doing this. You know. Yeah, this GDP thing. is going up this year. GDP will be down this. Whatever. It's just like okay. What the so fuck what? does that mean to me? But people yeah. love to say that it affects you. It's like no, it does. Like that determines how much they'll be able to invest and blah blah blah. And I'm like, no, this is just fun money for them. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it can. Uh, you know, it affects you, but it only affects you shittily. Like it only affects you when it gets <laughs> bad enough, and they're like, fine, you're fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't, they're not like, oh, gee, the stock market went up. I can't wait to pay my workers more. <laughs> yeah, it never fucking happens that way. And like, I've seen so many tweets along the same line of like, look, this pandemic is proving they don't need uh, like people to do well in order for them to do well, like economically. They just don't. In uh-huh. fact, it's better if we don't do well. Yeah. I, I mean, everything I was following <sighs> was like... <laughs> scared and kind of like laughing because they were scared sort of like oh man the economy's falling off a cliff damn here it all goes and then at some point they just took the line that was going down pulled it up from reality and just (laughs) said it's going up anyway it's just fake 
It's all fake. Makes me so mad. Anyway, Kerala model is not focusing on what's fake, but what's real. Tell us some more about what they're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I love it because you set it up so nicely. This is all despite a very low income. The average, like, per capita income in Kerala is 3,200 USD a year. Wow. Okay. And... And this is a small state. It has roughly the population of California inside the size of a state that's like roughly the size of Maryland. Wow. Okay. So pretty crowded then? Mm-hmm. Would that end up being... I know California has a lot of rural area maybe. That's so. true. But they have big population centers. Yeah. So... So fairly densely fairly populated dense. probably. Okay. Yeah. So it's just really interesting. They just instead invested in all this shit for the people and it worked out really well like in terms of... Like, let's just start with healthcare. They built a shit ton of hospitals, basically. They're just like, let's do this. They yeah. built a huge statewide infrastructure. Their life expectancy is 75. Would you like to guess the life expectancy for the United States? Well, uh, <laughs> just on average overall? Yeah, average overall. 73. It's actually 78, so we won a little bit. India's is okay. 69, though. India's overall India's overall 69, 69. And then theirs is... 75. 75. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. They also have really good palliative care. Mm-hmm. So Kerala has 3% of India's population and provides two-thirds of palliative care services in India. Whoa. Wow. It's insane. So they like are a front runner in like end-of-life care. This sounds like to me like you're describing some sort of a boutique medical <laughs> clinic thing here or something. Or you're like you're describing like... Uh, the statistics of, you know, some New England rich person enclave compared to the United <laughs> States, you know? Honestly, yeah, it's pretty nuts. So they, they do still have some issues. They have a slightly higher morbidity rate than other states. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this is due to mostly diseases. Like there's still like a pretty big prevalence of like waterborne diseases. Okay. Uh, they have a slightly low birth weight, uh, 13%. Um, All right. So not great. But their infant mortality in 2011 was 12 per thousand, and most low-income countries are 91 per thousand. Man, they're way below that then, especially given the income they have. What is, do you know the United States' ballpark of that? Infant mortality? Probably not great. From my understanding, we're not great at infant mortality. Definitely not if you're black. Let's see. Uh, 5.7 deaths per thousand. So pretty good. So we're, yeah. India's 28.3. 28. And Kerala's only 12. That's for India. Wow, yeah. This is what, per 1,000? Per 1,000. Yeah. Non-Hispanic black in the United States is 11. Jesus. So next I want to talk about education. I think you're going to enjoy this section. All right. First they had, in 1947, they founded something called the library movement. I love that. I love libraries, yeah. (laughs) So that's one thing I was thinking of just the other day was, I miss just going to a library. Me too. I know you could probably do it socially distant, but like you're touching all the books and everything. I'm like, no, I don't uh, really want to do that. Yeah. But this program formed over 6,000 libraries. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So that's the huge. St- and the state did that. The state did that. See, we did, you know, a lot of libraries or something, but that was all philanthropy, the, the <laughs> Carnegie libraries that, that he put up everywhere. Uh, that's the only way we could do it in the United States. Yeah, right. Uh, oh, I think we're, you'll really enjoy this one. It has, it has good aesthetics for one. 1962, they founded the People's Science Movement. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Communist so science. 
it started as just like focusing on publishing science, but they ended up changing their goals and like their motto is now science for social revolution. Hell yeah. That's, That's a great, great motto. <laughs> so some of their goals, I, I grabbed this from our website and I just wanted to read them because they're good goals. So. All right. Let's hear it. Popularize science and scientific outlook among the people. Okay. Develop a sense of optimism instill in the people a sense of self-confidence that they can change the world and can build a better tomorrow. That's so Very hopeful. Good. I know. Kind of, kind of propaganda but I mean, in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> Expose and oppose the abuse of scientific knowledge detrimental to the interests of the majority. I thought that was interesting. Like, not all science is probably good, you know? True. Race science, for example. That's a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> Expose and oppose the abuse of the environment. Propose and help implement alternative modes for development with emphasis on equity and sustainability. And carry out R&D work to transform lab technologies into mass technologies. I like that one too. Yeah, that's important because, great, you came up with a jetpack. I mean, that, <laughs> you know, is handy for just a very few people. You know, why would we roll that out to everyone? You know, sometimes the cool scientific discoveries are like, neat, that's going to be some rich person's <laughs> plaything and that's it. Yeah, uh, like cool... Cool hadron collider. Can I have healthcare? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> science is important for science's sake, but also like we have other things to do. So <laughs> uh, I also want to talk about their literacy programs. So in the 1980s, they had this program where 50,000 volunteers tracked down 175,000 illiterate people between five and 60 years old and, and taught them to read. Awesome. Echoes of Cuba over here. Yeah. I was reminded about it a lot. Um, what was interesting, so the People's Science Movement also sent like 20,000 volunteer tutors, and they also collected donated glasses and would like match them with people. So like mm -hmm. they would train themselves. They got trained to match prescriptions for people who couldn't see, which I thought that was nice. Awesome. Yeah. The total cost of this literacy program, $26 per person. That's awesome. <laughs> you got all those volunteers. All you have to do is pay to like, what, train them how to do it, give them the physical materials. And send them out. Yeah. You know? The coolest thing about this, this is my favorite part. You got all these newly literate people. Do you know what they turn around and do? Vote communist. They started writing letters demanding roads and hospitals. Hell yeah. Awesome. <laughs> That's what you get when you like teach people things. They're like, oh, I, I deserve better than this. Yeah. And they feel like they can express that. They have the capability of doing so. And they've just also, you know, been reached by a government that clear you know cared enough to go try to reach them that hey maybe they care enough about to fix this road over here it's a exactly you know, yeah so today they have basically 100 percent literacy it's also almost equally distributed across sexes which is a big deal the rural urban difference is also pr a lot lower than the rest of india so basically mm -hmm. saying like the level of inequality on education is lower so yeah that's, good. that's crazy Th then those are big deals for sure, for sure, which which brings us to our next topic of gender. All right, yeah. So Kerala has a tradition of matrilineal inheritance, so I think that kind of plays a little bit into this, just generally treating women better. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the state also, like, really did not leave women out, which was great. So they have very high female literacy, education, work participation, and life expectancy, which is a big deal. The birth rate is 40% lower than the national average. And it's 60% below, like, similar, like, poor countries. 
a good thing, right? Very good thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, but, you know, what, that wouldn't be a good thing in like Japan or something. Where oh, yeah, yeah. Or no, Europe they need those. Having, yeah. <laughs> no, so. this is very good. It ends up, you know, really paying off for women. Yeah. What's interesting, though, so India had apparently, they looked at China freaking out about their population in the 70s, and they're like, oh, we should do that too, which is not yeah. great, as we learned from that segment. Mm-hmm. So what they ended up doing, like India as a whole started withholding licenses for like business licenses, driver's licenses, permits for like irrigation or fucking food rations, uh, unless you would like get sterilized or, you know, Whoa. get IUDs and stuff. Or they would just, you know, round up, quote unquote, volunteers. Damn, that's bad. Very bad. So you're saying India is like the country did that? Or the country Kerala did that. did that. The country did that. Kerala has a low birth rate and they didn't use coercion. So they didn't have to. Do, they were just like, now nah, we're good. We didn't they, have to do they that. They didn't. So the reason oh, that cool. it worked for them is because they had all these literate women. That was huge. Uh, women also had a later marriage age, which tends to reduce the number mm-hmm. of children. So they got married at 22 instead of 18, which sounds very young to Americans, but still big deal. Yeah. And you, you know, mentioned this is it stems from this tradition of, of the property relations, right? Of, mm-hmm. As we've mentioned before, kind of the, the economic base of that, of the, the relationship of women and men in terms of material wealth, like that influenced, you know, how the overall, you know, cultural, I guess the dynamics, the gender dynamics there, you know? For sure. And I, another like stat I found is that their like sex ratio is trends towards what's considered normal, which you have more women than men. And in places mm-hmm. where like China, where you have a lot of female infanticide, obviously that rate is different. And so it's a really yeah. good sign they didn't have that problem. Yeah. At least in that's, Kerala. That's awesome. My favorite detail the state put up dispensaries every few kilometers with IUDs and other birth control. Oh, hell yeah. This is day one Christine presidency shit right here. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Ice cream truck brigades, but it's birth control. That is cool. Like that they have that sort of sort of an infrastructure, right? Again, not in some sort of super rich enclave. Or anything like that. <laughs> but like in a normal place with normal people, not even crazy amount of resources or anything. They yeah, prioritize yeah. that though. It reminded me of something uh, recently that the Scottish Parliament did. They voted unanimously uh, to make free period products available in any. Um, oh, I saw that. Yeah, in any public building or whatever. I was like, that's. That's amazing. That's good. We should do that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's something that we can do, that any place can do. Again, the question is if they prioritize it or not. Yeah, yeah. They are. They also had a state-supported nutrition program for pregnant women and new mothers. So that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Next, I want to talk about queer issues. You know, I'm always going to bring up my people. Hell yeah. So nationally, just a little background homosexuality is no longer illegal in india but same-sex unions are still not recognized so that sucks okay in 2014 in india like nationally there is now an option for people to use third gender on forms instead of male or female this was changed to transgender in 2019 which like to me is confusing because i'm like well you can be trans and and be a man or a woman yeah so whatever But in Kerala in 2016, they started offering free gender-affirming surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's huge. Awesome. 
They also have employment and skill training for the trans community, which, you know, as we mentioned, is a very chronically under and unemployed group. Mm -hmm. And they have something which I just love the name of. It's called the Gender Park. (laughs) Dude. Let's all go to the the Gender gender Park. park. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically a campus devoted to studying gender justice, equality, and policy. So pretty cool. All right. Awesome. Let's see. I also want to talk about employment. So Kerala's employment or unemployment is 9.4%. India's is 6.1%. So they're a little bit more unemployed. This is from 2019. Yeah, that's true. Uh, pandemic rates are insane. If it's from 2020, it's like 25%. And it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's what happens. That's, sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it seems like what happens is because there are such a strong like union presence in a lot of these places, um, they'll be demanding raises and such. Factories will go to more oppressed areas in India and just set up shop there. So that sucks. Yeah, that's true. But in terms of healthcare, in terms of education, you know, they have great strides there. And you said overall the their human development index was just like it was high. Yeah, yeah. Overall, like the rest of their stats are pretty good. So it's like, okay, I mean. They probably have some sort of system where even if you're unemployed, you're you're kind of all right, it seems like. I would assume, I mean, just based on everything else, it seems like they would provide for that. But I mean, even even just fucking healthcare, at least you're not dying yeah. from that, you know, like that's magic. Yeah. These unemployed people, by the way, you know, they, they haven't lost their healthcare like, like <laughs> yeah, people here huge. would. So yeah, they also have a very large budget deficit, which brings me to my stupid question of the day. Okay. Can you explain deficits to me? Budget it's deficits? Just, yeah. Is it just when you owe money? Uh, it's when you spend more money that year than you take in. Okay. What's the difference between that and a debt? So a debt is the total amount of times you've done that. So like the United States, we'll, well, nowadays we'll run a trillion dollar (laughs) deficit. It used to be like, oh man, we ran a $300 billion deficit. We can't keep doing that. (laughs) That's cute. Now we run trillion dollar deficits and we're like, you know, crazy year. What can, and honestly this year, I mean, Sure. That's your annual thing. That's just like, well, we didn't want to tax the millionaires, but we wanted new tanks and new F-35, so <laughs> that's what we spent this year. Okay. Uh, enough years doing that, or however many, however many years doing that, you just take that money that you owed, you you know, you borrow it, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're borrowing that from yourself, from, from you just... <laughs> this is insane. You're putting that, you're creating that money by adding zeros on the bank ledgers uh, from the, like the Federal Reserve is just... Putting it's made that up. money into there, yeah. Uh, oh God, yes, that is added to this bigger number that we owe, which is all the past times that we've done that. Mm, okay, okay, got it. That number is, you know, whatever a country's debt is, is substantially higher than their deficit. Okay, got uh, it. Like our debt, for example, <laughs> uh, is currently twenty-seven trillion. That's a lot of trillions. Which you just can't. I mean, you can't do like <laughs> that. Just doesn't exist. Yeah, you're that will never be paid back. Or <laughs> it's just not a thing. Federal budget deficit. Okay, I'll just explain how crazy 2020 is. 2019's was 984 billion. All right. Okay, uh, that's a lot. Pretty close to the trillion dollar mark there. <laughs> how do not we do quite this there. year? 2020 all time <laughs> high three trillion. Jesus Christ. But I mean, you know, you're all of a sudden paying a whole bunch of unemployment checks. You're all mm-hmm. of a sudden not getting a bunch of taxes. So it makes sense. But, yeah. and we shouldn't, uh, deficits 
deficit hawk or anything like that. It's kind of annoying. Um, yeah, I was annoyed by that comment when I was reading about it because I was like, who cares? <laughs> like, it, they're taking care of their people. Like, that's what you should spend money on. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, a good government's going to run. It's going to run deficits when it needs to. That's mm-hmm. like, it's powerful enough to do that. Maybe yeah. not at the state at the state level. It's kind of limited in comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, hell, we were just talking about how <laughs> the national government can just step in and be like, yeah, you suck, dude. You're out. <laughs> It's true. But at the national level, for sure, especially if you borrow in your own currency like the United States does, fucking run it up. Who cares? That just seems like you're playing Monopoly and you just are stealing from the bank whenever you want. Yeah, you are. (laughs) And theoretically, eventually, I guess it could like, it could fuck up, but it doesn't. If you're borrowing from yourself, you never have to pay yourself back. Right. The only fear you would ever have is if everybody abandons the dollar as a reserve currency and no one cares about the dollar anymore. And then you start to see hyperinflation. Okay. But if that were ever to happen, I mean, you have bigger problems, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And plus, yeah. I just I just think the whole thing is used in a bad way because it's u- it's never used to say, well, we should fucking buy, we should have fewer troops, we should buy fewer <laughs> aircraft carriers. Like, it's never used for that. No, no, of course not. You know, or we should tax the rich more. It's never used for that. So. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So another thing I want to talk about, in terms of like economics, they have something called the People's Resource Mapping Program. Okay. So this is like a program to basically look more at sustainability. So they're looking at things like preventing erosion. And because like importing crops is so expensive, they looked at like, okay, can our local like rice patties, like we can section off an area that's for like food crops, like regular staples, you know? Mm-hmm. So basically having more local food involved, uh, focusing on like repair shops instead of just constantly producing new goods, looking at how can we make things last longer. That's like, that's dope. huge. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, awesome. I love this because it so ties together the fact that like when you focus on hi- having a higher GDP, like a lot of people do, yeah. you are going to get more pollution. <laughs> and if you throw that out of the equation like wow it's actually good for people and the earth cool (laughs) yes because it's great for businesses you know it's great for whirlpool when your fucking washer breaks down because it's just the computer chip thing you have to throw the whole thing out and get a new one or whatever right it's great for whenever you know something craps out in your car because that's computerized too and you got to get something new on that dude my fucking prius battery is like on the outs and it's so expensive to replace i'm just gonna get a new fucking car (laughs) planned obsolescence is great for capitalism but it's not great for people these repair shops are and it's not great for the environment either like you were saying it's sustainability it's great for the environment. It's also great for people who can save money mm-hmm. by doing that, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. It's awesome. So this brings me to the last section. You remember in that original Kerala model, like the, the third section of that was political participation. Mm-hmm. So this state has the highest newspaper consumption per capita in India. Probably Whoa. has a lot to do with that high literacy rate. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was reading this article. This guy was like staying there for like, I think it was like a week or something. This Mm -hmm. was in the 90s. And he was like, strikes are so common here. Like I was just walking around and I was reading a newspaper about like two strikes tomorrow. And someone was talking about that there's a strike today. So like, don't take this bus. And like, there's just like a million strikes all the time. And it's just like normal. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. So that's awesome. I mean, was he framing that like, damn, there's all these strikes I can't get around? Or was it just like, no, this is cool? 
No, I think he was framing it as like, this is interesting and like these people know that they have power, I think. I mean, that's how I chose to write it, but maybe that was just my little lefty lens. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome though. Yeah, it seems to like there's a real culture about of like talking about politics. Like that's just kind of what you do there. And like, <sighs> I think that's really interesting because here mm-hmm. like we are so trained, like that's rude. I, I think less now, but now's a different time. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to explain that. But we we were brought up to think that it was rude to talk about politics. Yeah, well, okay, because po- and it's it's because what they're talking about when they're talking about politics or political things, they're talking about political issues, mm-hmm. political issues that have more solutions than which team do I root for to fix it. <laughs> right there, because they're what their solutions they're reaching for is. Let me take to the streets and strike, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. They have so much. Uh, it is actually directly tangibly related to their lives rather than something they watch on TV and root for. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's material. Like, yeah. geez, <laughs> that word keeps coming back. <laughs> so I also want to go back to our listener email. Basically, they're talking about how you know, there is a lot of nationalism right now in India and a lot of like mm-hmm. anti-Muslim sentiment. And that just really doesn't seem to have taken hold in Kerala as far as they can tell. Okay. So like, that's just awesome. It just sounds like a great place. It's because of that secular tradition you were talking about, right? That, I would assume you know, so. Yeah. Governing from kind of a, you know, a non, what, a non-sectarian place for that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. And you know, this, again, this isn't like a a wealthy place or a well-off place like they've been hit by floods uh, a Nipah virus outbreak and now obviously corona and they're still hanging in there you know like it's very much for the people that's awesome so that's all i got what do you think about this place where where do you rate it you know right now because it's actually been a while since i've visited my island so it's probably actually rated (laughs) above my animal crossing island in terms of places i would want to be oh man yeah i mean Um, it's cool sounding it it does sound like i would take like a material hit i mean i'm gonna be like more broke if i live there Mm -hmm. but i love the what you were talking about in terms of the kind of political atmosphere of having that sense that you have agency Mm -hmm. you know that sense of kind of community in terms of not only not having as much religious strife but also having more gender equality and everything yeah i mean it's it does sound like it's really doing like it's a really quite different region of uh, of india yeah i i keep thinking about that relation between the political participation and these like initiatives and just like i i keep thinking about how that only works because they took care of their people and their people were able to be like, okay, now can you do this for me? And like, it's just like this really, it's a good like cycle, you know? Yeah. (sighs) Making people aware that they can do that through their government too. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's the government's there to fix problems. Whereas we kind of have the opposite ethos here of like, (laughs) you know, I think it was Reagan who famously said that, you know, the scariest words in the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Uh, I don't know. That's just like completely the opposite view that they're taking there. And it's clearly, you know, it's got a whole model named after it. It's clearly doing something right. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I, I just like kind of had my mind blown by the whole like, let's just not worry about GDP. Like that's, that's crazy. Just be like, man, eh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. That, um, I don't know. So 
there's kind of a balance though, because when you, when you, you see this kind of with the Soviets, you see this kind of with the communist party of China, you see this in different socialist states, this happens differently timeline wise, but you go from like this kind of initial radicalism of their revolution to, oh shit, we're running out of stuff. We need mm-hmm. to like in Russia, they'll introduce the new economic policy and kind of inject a little capitalism in China. They do socialism with Chinese characteristics to kind of booster, you know, boost the economy up to have some sort of economic like base to build things off of. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you'll see that kind of tension it's not i don't i guess i don't know if we should encourage people to be like fuck gdp who cares <laughs> because you do need to materially provide for people you have to have something to do it with it helps to be a state because you can just get that stuff from the national government but that's what i was going to say is I, I think that's a big factor is that they have that support from the state and also the rest of the state until recently was fairly socialist mm-hmm. so i think that was huge yeah not to say i don't know not, I definitely think that we should take the lesson that GDP is not what we should be trying to improve necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, at all costs. That's definitely not helpful at all. Well, I think what's know. funny is that, like, if you improve these things, how your fucking GDP is going to improve? Like, because guess what? You'll have more alive people to, like, do shit. <laughs> oh, if we improve these things, definitely. Because in the United States, we've got more than enough. We got too much GDP to know what to do with. <laughs> but where does it go? It doesn't go to any of these things. You know, we are already to the point where we can take that GDP and put it to use of the people. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to worry about that. I mean, even if we took a big trim off of the GDP, like we could still, if we took a chunk of that and we're like, let's do free college, let's do free healthcare, let's do all this stuff. We, we would still have so fucking much. Yeah. So we're not, we, we're not in the position where we have to worry about, oh, but we need to make sure to grow the, it's, we're, we've been fucking growing the GDP so <laughs> That's much. That's all we do. But for no use of, you know, for regular people. Yeah. All that GDP just goes to people's like fourth homes or whatever. Yeah. It goes to making sure you can get a third job that also doesn't pay enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And I, I also keep thinking about that, like Indira Gandhi quote of just like, we're just trying to get rid of poverty. Like, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> If yeah. that's what socialism is, and they're like, fine, I guess. Yeah, let's do that. Call me a socialist. It's okay. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I, I particularly loved, like, all the stats on just, like, how, I don't know, just, like, taking care of their fucking people and, like, the thing about them writing into their government to demand roads and hospitals as soon as they became literate. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. Like, we're now, <laughs> like... I had to request a streetlight, and it took me so long to figure out how to do that. I was like, I don't know. Maybe I just will give up. <laughs> so I wouldn't know how to do that either. I would just start Googling. <laughs> yeah, I did. I eventually got it. So yeah. I think I think they're putting in a light. So I, I made change in my community. There you go. <laughs> it's too Local dark in my neighborhood. Action. Yeah, I, I love the stats, dude. You got wonky on it. Thank you. <laughs> We'll have to, you'll have to apply to Vox. Oh, no. I don't want to. <laughs> don't make me. Math is hard. I, I can't be a wonk if I don't know what a deficit is. So <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. Plus, you would be kicked off the podcast if you were going to go uh, be one of the Johns on the <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. Did you know, listeners, you get to hear this great juicy tidbit. I think I've already told Grady this <laughs> for a very long time, like too long, probably several years. I thought... Jean Favreau 
was John Favreau the director. I thought they were the same person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember you telling me that. Oh was... my god. I was like, I love his movies though. He seems so cool and chef. Why is he being such an asshole? <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a neoliberal deep down. Oh, uh, I mean probably the actor is too. I sure. Mean, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, if you're not and you're listening, feel free to contact John us. John Favreau, if you're a comrade. We'll, we'll have you, you on, know. man. You can, yeah. Chef is like, and... no lie, probably my favorite movie. It's either first or second. King Speech is up there, but we watch it all the time. <laughs> uh. <laughs> all right. That was my presentation. Did I get a good grade? That's what I need to know. Uh, well, according to the rubric here, I would say that you have demonstrated mastery in all of the criteria. Hell yeah. So that gets you like 100 points. I always make mine to total 100 because it's easiest for me. Cause oh, yeah. Do people do it differently? Yeah, some people do like a one to four, but then they have to, you know, once you add up that, then oh you have to God. convert that into points. So it's like. Yeah, just ugh. do it by 100. Yeah. Fuck yeah. That's all I need. I'm a type A person, which means I need an A for a grade. <laughs> you got an A, you got a gold star. Fuck Yeah. You got a red star because yes. this was about communism. <laughs> Validation. That's what I need. Uh, I do want to, again, say thank you to Adarsh for writing to us about this place. It was super cool to learn about. Yeah. And even the small bit that I was doing just about the kind of independence movement and like how India and Pakistan and everything got their independence, like that was interesting too. Not a part of history that I had delved too much into. And yeah, you did a great job in terms of investigating the workings of the socialist and communist movement there. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Literal bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do we want to do next time? Next time, I'm thinking we do a movie night. Hell yeah. Take a sleazy. Yeah. And um, since it's getting kind of closer to wintry weather. Not here, but everywhere else. Not here, but who knows what by the time it releases, maybe we'll... No, I feel like we only ever get snow here like in February or something or January. Yeah, it could be. But for some of our listeners, you know, we got uh, islands. We have people from all over. Maybe they'll be experiencing... Boston. We have a Boston. Yeah. So yeah, there's plenty of possibilities there. Brooklyn, I think. Yeah, we got a Brooklyn night. For some good uh, cold weather, we're going to be watching a movie that centers on a world that has a lot of cold weather because there's been massive Ooh. climate change and stuff. Oh, shit. And all, across, all around this world is speeding a train upon which some people live in a pretty unique situation. We're going to watch Snowpiercer. Okay. I know nothing about this. It's pretty cool. It's pretty explicitly leftist in terms of its <laughs> messages i think yeah and yeah so it's like i guess it's kind of uh, sci-fi sort of because it's dystopian mm, okay, sort okay. of futuristic but it's it's not like super advanced technology because the only advanced technology is this train that goes around the world <laughs> okay world train yeah and besides that it's just like dystopian you know okay sounds great uh for our listeners at least u.s based ones where can they watch this also i need to know that <laughs> How can I stumble upstairs and watch this movie? Uh, you can watch it on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Nice. Uh, you can pirate it. <laughs> <laughs> you can also pirate it. If you're Always feeling, 
Yeah, if you're feeling like you're worried about COINTELPRO breaking down your door and, you know, the CIA goons coming in. It's too late for me, man. (laughs) (laughs) You can buy it on YouTube, iTunes, Vudu, Amazon Prime Video. Cool. You can watch it for free on Pluto TV. I'm sure that's some sort of subscription trial thing. but I'm sure it is. (laughs) It's just what Google told me. So (laughs) all of those are options. Again, you could also pirate it if you want. (laughs) And then after you like it, you buy it, you know, hey. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like a test. (laughs) Yeah. Don't commit crimes, though, kids. Yeah, crimes are bad or whatever. Um, (laughs) This is by the same guy that did Parasite, though, so I feel like I should pay him. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you can. I would, uh, it's on Netflix, so I've already, I'm getting it that way. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. I would buy it if I had to, because it was, now that I've seen it, it is a good movie, so. Okay, I recommend. Nice, I'm excited. All right, so that's what we're covering Next week, we'll do a little movie club. Nice. I'll be good. Got a yeah. little cozy. So in the meantime, you can find us online, the big internet. You can find us on Instagram at Teach Me Communism, Twitter at Teach Communism. If you want to send us an email to give us an episode topic suggestion, suggestion for movie night, or just sprinkle us with gentle compliments, then you can do that at teachmecommunism at gmail.com. If you want to give us compliments in a more public forum, then you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is a great way for people to find the shows. You can even rate the show too. Um, I am even willing to do that, even though we are at exactly 69 ratings, which is the funny sex number. <laughs> I am willing to forego that number if we get more ratings. So. Yeah, that's a sacrifice we're willing to make. It's a hard one, of course. but All we have to do is just get straight to 420, though. we just need 300 more that's easily done right it happens exponentially i think is how reviews work sure (laughs) (laughs) so yeah go write and review por favor patreon we have a patreon patreon.com slash teach me communism for five dollars a month you can become a star student which means you get access to our notes for each episode so this week you'll be getting my notes and you get to see how stupid my notes are (laughs) and (laughs) i write a lot of notes to myself like there's lots of lols and stuff like that (laughs) nice we are also on youtube that's your preferred method for podcast listening so search us there if that's your thing or if you know someone who does not listen to podcasts unless they're on youtube then you can send us to send them our youtube we have some subscribers on youtube so it's a thing it's a thing people do that we sound so old like (laughs) uh well Thanks again for your wonderful presentation. Thank you for listening to it and researching other shit for me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And thank you, listener, for tuning in this time. Yeah, we love you guys. Yeah, you guys are great. And you can always get more of us. Check out that back catalog. Mm -hmm. It's not a ton, but it's there. (laughs) It's there. And you can share it with your friends and then talk to your friends about it. And then that's like even more content. That's true. And that's technically praxis because you're spreading the word. <laughs> See, it counts. You get to be a leftist. <laughs> All right. Uh, there you go, guys. Tune in next week for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.